Hello and welcome to Biting Talk with me, William Sitwell. I'm The Telegraph's restaurant critic, a food writer and an author. And on this week's episode of Britain's liveliest food and drink show, we meet the following talent from the food and drink world. First up is Jean Tanaka. He's the chef and a co-owner of The Ninth, a great restaurant in London. And he's going to talk to us about how he can teach you to turn your barbecue into a proper gourmet occasion. It's something that he cooked up during lockdown. And he's going to be talking about how this is rejuvenating his business. And he'll be my first guest on the show. Then we head to another restaurant in London called The Corinthia, right in central London, just on Northumberland Avenue, not far from Trafalgar Square, where we meet executive chef Andre Garrett. How is he managing his mini dining empire at the hotel? Then we head north, right up to the Peak District, where at the Peak, at the Peak District Delhi, we speak to Lauren Wilson about the trials and tribulations of her online business, and also we check out whether or not she's going to be able to start her famous supper clubs again. And finally, what happened when a waiter became a critic and then became a waiter again? That's right. It's the return of Joe Warwick. So that's coming up on this edition of Biting Talk. But first of all, we say hello to Jeanne Tanaka. Jeanne, how are you? Welcome to the show. Good evening, William. How are you doing? I'm extremely well. Now, um, one of the things that's fascinating about you, not just your journey through um, uh, the kitchens of some of the culinary giants, is that you have now really at, at the helm of the Corinthia your own mini little restaurant empire. Now, Tom Kerridge has got his Kerridge Bar and Grill, which I, I imagine you're allowed into, but maybe you're not allowed to make too many suggestions. But you've got the garden, uh, you've got the Northall, you've got the Crystal Moon, you've got your fingers in the pies, or, not the, or the healthy salads rather, at the spa. This must be like running Gatwick Airport. And now you uh, you were one of the first hotels to really you know open as soon as you could. Um, how has it been for your customers? I mean, uh, I'm assuming you're not seeing huge numbers from overseas. Um, have people been stepping over the threshold trepidatiously? What's the atmosphere been like amongst the, the customers and the guests? Yeah, they 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 really have, and it's, it's it's been really important. I mean, we were one of the first. I think there was just a small handful of us five-star luxury hotels that opened. And um, I think that was really, really important. And, and the team here did as well that we, that we opened when we could. And um, it's going very, very positively. That first weekend was, was very busy. And we're just building up pace as we go. And um, again, looking at it week on week and, and, and doing the best what we can and, and keeping, keeping the impetus there. And how are the chefs managing in the kitchen? Because, of course, you must have a very big, big brigade because um, you're dealing with room service as well as everything else. Are chefs nimbly, you know, walking around each other? Uh, are they wearing masks or is it just back to normal? Yeah, no, it's um, I mean, it, it's a new world we're in now and we've, we've got to be very mindful. And, but I think we've, we've got really, really good standards here. Um, yeah, I have the chefs wearing masks when they're in close proximity to each other and when they're preparing food. 
Um, if they're working alone and solo, they, they can obviously take it off. We're in a hot environment. Um, but yeah, we've all just got to be, be intelligent about it and be mindful and, and look at the best practices and, um, and, and keep distance as well. As you can imagine, I've got a little bit of a smaller team back at the moment because we're not at full capacity at all. So um, that's easier to distance. But yeah, you're right. It's a kitchen is a vibrant place and something that needs a lot of thought. And given the fact that you've got to be all over the shop, is there a bit of the kitchen where you tend to gravitate towards? Um, I mean, the Northall uh, restaurant is obviously closed at the moment. We're only doing breakfast in there, but that is that is my sort of gravitation area. I mean, um, I, I love a restaurant. I love a restaurant environment. But everything here is very, very important to me. Um, I mean, we've made a big impetus into our garden uh, terrace, which we've um, got a new enhanced menu in there. And that's open air as well. So I think that fits with what we're doing. And um, yeah, it's doing some some lovely, lovely seasonal summer Mediterranean style food in there. Apparently, I'm I'm slightly crackling, so um, apologies to everyone if um, if the reception isn't fantastic. Um, your CV reads like the CV a lot of of a lot of the great chefs, Gordon Ramsay and Jean, who's going to be on in due course. Um, you've worked at with you know under Nicola Dinas, um, and of course Guy Savoie. In, uh, in Paris, where Gordon Ramsay um, had some of his formative years. Um, what was Nicola Dinas like to, to work for? Because he had a terrifying reputation. Yeah, he was a, um, he, he was, he was a tough, tough chef. And we were back in those days. It, it was the early 90s. And I actually worked alongside Jun. Um, we worked together there as chef de party. So it's, um, yeah, we're, we're great friends, which was... Um, yeah, which was was great. I mean, it was a great time in, in British British food and hospitality and, and building up to where we are now. Um, but yeah, a formidable chef and restaurateur Nico was. He, I mean, we, we'll all read stories about him. He would he would take no prisoners with people that work for him, but also customers as well. But um, I think without these great examples of, of, of chefs and restaurateurs, I'm not sure where we'd be. Um, to be honest with you. And are there specific things that you learned in those kitchens or practices that you still feel, you know, that were instilled in you that you feel uh, in the way that you speak to your chefs or the way that you cook? Yeah, I mean, in those days, it was all about the attention to detail and that uh, just going through the, the, the same jobs day after day and, and perfection and the team working together. And that's why I'm trying to instill in the chefs now as well, because we, we don't have that so much so that level of restaurant um, and that, that push and drive. And the younger people have got so much choice now as well in, in what they do. They don't have to put themselves through really, really tough kitchens. But, um, yeah, that's what I learned there. And it was it, it was really formidable. And what do the chefs call you? Do they say we chef like in some of the restaurants or is it yes chef at yours? Um, yeah, they, I mean, they all call me chef. It's, it's yes, chef. We don't really use the, the, the French term anymore. I like to be called Andre as well. I'm getting older now and a little bit more relaxed. But um, yeah, maybe my sort of, you know, the higher peers and, and Thomas here, my MD, would call me Andre. But yeah, it's usually chef. Now, you hail from the Southwest. You were born in Bath. Tell me about the, the restaurant that your grandmother had. Well, she actually, um, she was maitre d' at the pump room. Um, so that was the, the, the famous tea house in Bath, which is, which is right by the, um, the Roman baths there. And so everyone would have 
following for tea and everything like that. And I used to do all day dining as well. And she worked out the front. And I can still remember going in with my with my mother and my younger brother and sister and um, and seeing the kitchen lively. And that's where I got that um, that fire and that desire that I wanted to be a chef. I read in the press that um, half the country seems to be piling down to the southwest. In fact, it's where I am at the moment. That may be why I'm slightly crackling. Apologies again for that. Um, the great Richard Bertonet, he's got his cookery school and his bakery in Bath. Are you tempted to, to is, is, there a, is there an elastic band that pulls you back to the southwest? Will you ever go back to that great city where you were born? Um, I'm not sure if I'd go back there to, to do a business or anything at the moment. Um, yeah, I haven't really thought about it. I mean, it's a beautiful city, um, but food has always been a bit of a, a challenge there. But there's a few independent places open in the last couple of years, but you never say never. I mean, it's a beautiful place. My mother still lives there, um, even though the rest of us have moved away. But it's, it's yeah, it's a beautiful place to go to, and the southwest is lovely and um and yeah, as you say, everyone is enjoying the, the countryside at the moment and this lovely yeah. that we're having. Now, a question I often ask chefs on this show, um, there is, of course, you know, a, a lot of calamity in the hospitality business. It's a very, very worrying time for the trade. Um, of the young guys coming up, are you seeing them being dissuaded for go, from going into hospitality or are you seeing just as many people still knocking on your door, sending in their CVs? Yeah, there's still um, a, a good a good amount coming through, and I'm actually really proud. I've got I've got three apprentices in my team here, and um, I'm always you know I always try to work really closely with the colleges, and I think that's really really important. And you know I'm so, I'm so proud of, of, of the three young apprentices I've got here, and, and the rest of the young people as well. And I think that's a real big thing to shout about. And um, but but yeah, there is um, there, there is. Um, I think there's still the same amount of people coming into the trade, but there's so much um, hotels and hospitality businesses and restaurants, et cetera, out there for them to choose to go and work out. That's where we're, we're losing the amount of people that we need to, to run our businesses. Yeah. Now, final question. You're speaking to us from, uh, from Northall at the Corinthia. Um, if you were going to have a table in the restaurant, what table number would it be this evening and what would you be ordering? Um, I would be going for table number 12, I think. And I would be ordering today my tuna tartare, my burrata from Lalateria um, Dairy with the heritage tomatoes. And there's a beautiful hanger steak at the moment, which we cook on the open fire with Umbrian lentils and watercress. And um, dessert-wise, what would I have dessert? I've got a lovely plum tart at the moment with crisp puff pastry and frangipan. Yes, and uh, the plums are literally, well, they were dropping off the trees in Northamptonshire. So um, I'm delighted to hear that. Um, Andre Garrett, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you very much, William. Very nice to be, uh, be here. Hello to everybody. Right, my next guest on Biting Talk uh, is, of course, the chef of the ninth. Here he is, Jean Tanaka. Now, if you heard Andre Garrett there, I wonder if it stirred some memories because um, he says he remembers working with you at Nicoladinas. You must have been uh, you must have been a young boy back then. Uh, so I was twenty when I worked there. So that was um, that was nineteen ninety two. 
So I worked for Nico for two years and then um, there were some great chefs when I was working there. So it was a time Jason Atherton was there as a chef to party as well. And then Eric Chabot, he was the, the head chef. So amazing, amazing people who worked there. And like Andre said, it was an incredible time to be a chef, completely different from now, but it's experience that I, would, I wouldn't give up. It was amazing. And it's, it's nice to hear the name of Nicola Dinis because um, he was very much part of the same era as Marco Pierre White. And you tend to hear more about Marco Pierre White than Nico, even though Nico had this amazing reputation as well. Um, uh, and Nicola Dinis, like Marco Pierre White, actually refused Michelin to come back to his restaurant. He, th- he gave up his stars. He said that it was interfering with his cooking, which, of course, was something that, that Marco Pierre White went, went on to do. And you also worked with Marco, but I read that whilst it was a formative experience and you wouldn't have missed it for the world, you hated every minute of it. I was literally counting the days till I did a year so I could leave. You know, back in those days, restaurant kitchens were so difficult that if you left before you did your year, it was almost the kitchen broke you. So... I don't know whether it was uh, a macho thing or it was to do with your own confidence. You needed to do one year before you moved on. And I did one year literally to the day at Marco's um, because it was the experience. I mean, the food he was cooking, without question, the best food in the UK at that time. And his strive for perfection was, you know, unmatched. But just the environment and the pressure was was um, pretty intense. And you know what I do now? You know, when I go through stressful times like now, I would go back and think to myself, if I could get through that, I can get through this. Yeah. And, so, you know, it definitely had its positives. Now, um, I believe that August the 19th is the date that you're going to be fully opening. Is that right? So just next week or the week after next, rather? Yep. So it's August the 20th. Really excited, but nervous at the same time. Um, and it feels like we're reopening. No, it feels like we're actually opening the restaurant again. And, you know, it's limited capacity. Uh, we're bringing back just half the um, half the staff to begin with. We're only open from Tuesday till Saturday, dinner only and lunch on Fridays and Saturdays. And just trying to build up the business quickly. Um, but it's exciting. It's a little bit kind of nerve-wracking so yeah mixture of emotions and i think you share that with a lot of a lot of chefs you know we had claude bosi on the show the other day who said he's never really you know known a moment like this where part of your confidence is sort of lacking because you just don't know what the economic situation is going to be like and you know as you know chefs have so many different levels of pressure and you know with this whole other you know cloud hanging over you you know, it must be a it must be a huge worry. So confidence. And as you say, if you get through, if you can do a year of the brutality of MPW, you can get through it. Now, tell me, one of the things that you've been focusing on um, during lockdown are these gourmet barbecues, these barbecue boxes. Um, first of all, for those who don't know, do you have a Kamado Joe? And is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, it's Kamado Joe. And yes, I, I bought one in the height of the lockdown, which was really difficult to find a supplier that would actually deliver it because it's super heavy. And so most of them said, we'll drop it curbside. But I I eventually found one that would deliver into the garden. And then it was 
being able to cook outside in the garden and trying new recipes, actually, it was kind of almost a relief from the, the mundane day-to-day um, being stuck at home. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I tried different recipes, being out in the garden. We had that amazing patch of good weather in April. Yeah. And I came up with these recipes and I thought when we kind of started the takeaway around six weeks ago, I thought it would be nice to provide something that we can deliver all over the UK. Because with the takeaway, it's only 3.5 miles from the restaurant. Whereas with a barbecue box, we can supply anywhere in the UK. And it's taking those recipes and, you know, it's all about kind of the marinades and the sauces and the vinaigrettes that go on it. And it's available for two or four people. And yeah, it's been going great. And the Kamado Joe is a very heavy ceramic beast, isn't it? What do you what do you get out of that barbecuing device that you wouldn't get out of a just a normal simple grill? It retains the heat a lot longer. And then when when I cook on it, I mean it's important when you cook on a barbecue, if if you can, to use natural compressed charcoal, no chemicals in it. And then it's the charcoal that gives the flavor to all the different food. And this one retains the heat and it cooks everything very evenly. And then so any kind of uh, vegetables or seafood or, or long kind of um, salt beef or brisket, it cooks it in a very even, um, even way, which is unusual for a barbecue. And it's got a lid which shuts and it's, it's like an oven. And uh, yeah, it retains the heat for eight hours, no problem. So it's, it's uh, as we're speaking now, as we record the show, um, it's steamy and it's hot. It's about to, I think the next few days is downpour and yeah. uh, thunderstorm uh, in, the, in the prospect. Um, will you barbecue in, in bad weather? Do you barbecue in the winter? Would you barbecue in the rain? I sound like uh, Dr. Seuss reading Green Eggs and Ham. Do you barbecue here and there? Do you barbecue everywhere? Or are you a, a fine weather be- barbecue man? I barbecue all the time, whether it's raining. I, I love it. I mean, there's two of us, just me and my wife. And to kind of, it's not that economical to fire up this Kamado Joe, but it makes such a difference to the flavor of whatever it is that you're cooking, whether it's seafood or vegetables or, or meat, that it's definitely worth it. And it's just nice to be outside. Um, it's less washing up, which is a plus. Um, yeah, I love it. It's the best form of cooking over fire. And are you one of these people who believes in marinades or do you believe that actually if you marinate meat, once you put it on a barbecue, you know, you destroy those flavors anyway. Where are you on the big marinade debate? Oh, you have to marinate on a barbecue. If you're, if you're cooking meat, marinade is a must. Not with seafood. If it was seafood, it has to be super simple. A good, great tip with cooking seafood, it always gets stuck on a barbecue. If you leave it in the fridge uncovered for 24 hours and the skin really dries out, then lightly oil it and put it on the barbecue and it won't stick. But with the meat, definitely marinades is a must. Okay, great. So when you open on the on August the 20th, what are the dishes that you're really excited to get stuck into and get put, cooking again at the 9th? So we're going to bring back, uh, like it has been on the menu for a while, but I thought when we come back, I wanted to give our guests something that they love. You know, when we've been in lockdown, we've been missing so many different things. And I thought it'd be nice to bring back a couple of dishes, which I know are 
my guest's favourites from a few years ago, actually. It hasn't been on the menu for a while. And it was a rabbit lasagna. So Giroles are in season at the moment, doing a rabbit confit lasagna with Giroles, tomatoes, fresh herbs, and with some rabbit livers, because I'm, I love rabbit livers. So that is um, something I'm excited to bring back. Um, Fish-wise, it's, you know, it's tomato season, the height of summer. So when I cook fish, I love cooking whole fish. That's the only way to cook it. So it's a whole sea bass. And we cook it in, in the oven with tomato consomme, um, with red mullet um, stock, loads of clams, slatterini tomatoes, and fresh herbs. So it's very light, fresh, but you've got this beautiful skin on the sea bass. It goes super crispy because we cook it in the charcoal oven. Right. Brilliant. Well, I mean, uh, rabbit lasagna. That's the f- first, I think, that anyone's mentioned on this season of Biting Talk. Uh, Jean Tanaka, it's wonderful to see you. Best of luck with the ninth. Um, our booking's pouring in now for August the, for August the 20th. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we could always do more, but it's good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, look, thanks for being on the show. Fantastic to see you. Thanks, William. Great to chat. Lauren Wilson, welcome to Biting Talk. Very nice to see you. Hi, thanks for having me. There you are up in uh, the sunny Peak District. Mm, still very sunny up here at the moment. Yeah, it's been sweltering in the kitchen today, so I'm quite happy sitting outside. Tell us a little bit about your deli, because it's an online deli. You, are, you, you have a, a, a caterer's background, um, and you joined your husband, uh, Rafe, or is it Ralph? It's um, Rafe, yeah. It's Rafe, yeah. got it the first time. Um, in the Peak District, and you've got—I know you've got a dog, and you've got some twins. Um, tell me a little bit about the deli first of all, before we talk about your new cafe, because it's online. I mean, I've been looking at the things that you stock. Literally, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything that you don't—you don't sell, but everything is local. Everything is that right? Even the butter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, we just noticed that there was lots of really good local produce up here, lots of really interesting small food and drink producers, but it wasn't easy to buy the food. And like lots of people, we didn't have the time to go to all of the farm shops and markets and independent to, to their actual farms. So we created an easy to use online shop, hoping that it would make local food more accessible to buy. Um, and then we were delivering the food. So we covered quite a large radius. We cover the Peak District and Derbyshire. We're going to Sheffield as well, up into the Hope Valley. Um, and it was surprising, actually. Once we, when we got going, we just we were told about more and more local producers. The, a lady that makes, uh, she grows um, pearl oyster mushrooms, which are gorgeous, and lots of other cheese producers, gins, so many things around here. So, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting to put them all together under one virtual roof. And there is one product that I'm particularly interested in because, of course, you stock Chateau Sitwell, which is the wine from Renishaw Hall, which my cousin Alex makes, that was the vineyard that was founded by my late uncle. Um, he planted what was then the most northerly vineyard in Western Europe, and you sell... Um, those Renishaw Hall wines. Yeah, we do. And they're actually quite, uh, they're becoming really popular, especially the the sparkling wines too. Um, Again, I think people are, 
initially quite suspicious um, over trying something new and and that is local it doesn't have a a big brand name to it but uh, when people have tried them and bought them they've really enjoyed them and they make such lovely presents too and we've been up to visit the vineyard at Renishaw Hall and we were talking about trying to do some dinner parties there as well outside weather permitting obviously. Yes what we need is a blind tasting with some skeptical French very skeptical French people um, and to, to pair and see if see where the Derbyshire wine, if it can compete on a global scale. That sounds like a great idea, definitely. It would be so interesting to see what people thought about it. Now, during lockdown, um, what products in particular have been selling well? And are there things that surprised you that left, left, that leapt off your virtual shelves that you didn't think people would be interested in getting? Um, yes, initially. So when lockdown started, it, the online shop just went crazy. Uh, we were so busy and it was lots of the kind of your weekly staples. So lots of fruit and vegetables, um, meat from the local butchers. But what was interesting was the variety of different alcohol that people were buying. <laughs> so the gins, lots of lovely gins, uh, the beers, the wine from Renishaw, um gosh yeah all, all, all sorts of things like that it was quite um it's quite varied and now we're seeing people buying more gift vouchers and um kind of presents and hampers for people so it's it's a lot more varied yeah now one of the things i'm particularly interested in asking you about is your supper clubs because um you you you've been well known for your events obviously you've had to postpone events that have been sold out are you going to be able to run supper clubs? And if so, how? And do you have to follow the same rules and regulations as restaurants? Or can you just launch a supper club, sell tickets and kind of hope for the best? What, what are you guys doing in terms of supper clubs? Um, at the moment, we are, we're, we're hoping that we can do it as they were as much as possible. So previously we had um, very long trestle tables um, where we sat, we sat maybe 80 people um, on, on, on long social dining tables. And in order to, that, to do that now, obviously is impossible. So we're wondering whether we could do it and have smaller tables with smaller groups of people um, and they come in their bubbles. Um, and if we can do it like that, but obviously Rafe and I aren't that comfortable with... Um, our staff having to wear masks and how we can social distance because they're such social events as you know um you don't want to take away from that you know that experience for people and one of the main reasons that we wanted to to do the supper clubs was to promote all of the producers and get people together and have a different kind of dining experience so um we've we've actually got a sold out uh, supper club at thornbridge that, brewery that we're waiting to um, be able to do and in that space it is big and we are able to have smaller tables so um, we're waiting I think for the guidance from the government to know that we can have larger numbers of people together than what they're allowing at the moment. Otherwise just tables of six for those social household bubbles um, and, and and hoping for the best. Now your new cafe the Riverside Kitchen um, opened in Bakewell um, wet our appetites. Can we get a taste of the online deli in reality? 
Yes, you can. Yeah, we at we we at the cafe. It caters for a wide range of different people. So we have lots of the um, the local builders on site coming in. They're wanting their kind of you know their their standard breakfast items, but we're having lots of other people, whether they're locals that are looking for something a bit different, um, and also people off the back of Peak District Deli um, coming in to get their salad boxes. We do um, hot specials every week as well. So there's definitely um, variety there, and we're able to be creative which is something that we've always wanted to do at the cafe um and uh, and it's good it's good it's working it feels positive people are starting to come back and hearing that we've reopened um and we're going to we're on the riverside so we're trying to extend the balcony that we've got on one side and the other side is actually a building site they're building the premiere in at the moment so it's a cafe of two faces really right okay well um final question um, if uh, the Peak District was on fire and you had to quickly scarper um, and there was no torrential rain in the offing, obviously you would grab a bottle of Chateau Sitwell from Renishaw Hall. But what would that what would that single ingredient from the Peak District that you would take apart from that be? Uh, it would be something that not many people know exists here, and that's a really gorgeous cold smoked trout from Lady Bower Reservoir. It's delicious. It's really tasty. So I think I would have I'd have that cold smoked trout. Mm. Wonderful. It is nice, brilliant. No, nice. it sounds good. Washed down with some sparkling Derbyshire wine. Um, Lauren Wilson, it's great to see you. Great to chat to you. Thank you so much. Best of luck with your new cafe. And um, I really cr- cross my fingers for you with supper clubs as they hope to kick off in the autumn. But lovely to see you, and thanks for joining me on Biting Talk. Thank you, William. My final guest. Joe Warwick. Here he is. Joe, welcome to Biting Talk. Hi, William. How you doing? Very nice to see you. Nice to see you too. There's a new script in the life of Joe Warwick. I want to get to grips with this. As I said at the beginning of the show, a lot of chefs, when they're on their uppers, start food trucks. Now we have the story of the waiter turned critic turned waiter again. This is what I used to do. I used to work in restaurants. I spent a decade and a half of my life, you know, various times working in restaurants. And I have gone back to it periodically at times when things have slowed down. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's a good way to lose weight. <laughs> but, but what happened was Victor Garvey, who's got Sola, which was Rambler before, and it's, it's right on Dean Street there, right in the middle of things, opposite the Groucho Club, beside Tonkatsu. Um, and we were talking on Twitter actually before lockdown happened, sort of saying, oh, you know, I said it as a joke, I'll come in and do the odd, odd guest shift front of house. He goes, I didn't know you, you used to do that. And I said, yeah. Then lockdown happened. And he was about to reopen and he said, are you still interested in doing some shifts? And I said, yeah. And we talked and basically the way it's worked out is my wife works on Monday, Tuesdays from Richmond. So I look after the kids, you know, all day, Mondays, Tuesdays, you know, um, at least until they went back to school for a little bit. And then after that, when they came back um, and he was looking for someone on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights when they were a little bit busy. He's also launching this takeaway thing. Um which is about to launch. And so he needs some more hands. So yeah, I've been going in. So for the whole of July, I think I did about 60 hours. Um, and it's quite fun. I mean, A, it's 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 designed for someone who's old like me, whose knees have gone a little bit because it's a, it's a small restaurant. It's not a big bustling brasserie. And, you know, it's got 24 seats. We're doing fine dining, 
Um, it's modern fine dining, but the service is very much about attention to detail. We're doing tasting menus, so it's, you know, eight courses. There's some tableside service. Obviously, we've had a reel back in that a bit with social distancing, but I get to flambe lobster on a regular basis, which brings a lot of joy into my life. Um, and, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's, it's fun, and particularly with the Soho Street Festival happening at the moment, um, to be in the middle of Soho, it's got a really different vibe to it. Um, yeah, and I'm quite enjoying it. You know, I cycle in half an hour, cycle back 40 minutes because it's uphill on the way back. Um, and it, it, it's fun. So uh, I'd, I'd like to try and keep doing it. Um, it's nice that I can still do it. The first week nearly killed me because I wasn't used to being on my feet that much. My feet yeah. hurt, my back hurt. But yeah, I think I've, you know, the muscle memories come back. And as a curmudgeonly critic, as a man who doesn't suffer fools gladly or lightly, um, how are you dealing with difficult customers? Because I can't even imagine it. I mean, I, I, I've got to say, the customers we get at Sola, and I'm not just saying this, it tends to be because, you know, the taste of the menu is 109 quid. So, you know, we're getting people, generally speaking, that know their food or are going out for a special occasion. Um, and the food's interesting. Victor's, I'm not just saying this, Victor's an interesting cook. It's, he's calling it Californian, but it's modern French with some Asian influences. Um, so, you know, he'll do a beurre blanc sauce with the sea bass, but then he'll put yuzu shu in it, which is a Japanese hot sauce. Or he'll do, uh, you know, uh, he's calling them dumplings, but they're tortellini, a foie gras and wild mushroom with a ginger dashi. So it's, it's interesting food as well. I think if it was really dull food for me, I'd find it hard. So I don't have a problem selling the food and enthusing about the food because it's genuinely good. I haven't had any assholes yet. I heard one guy came in. We do very minimal, well, not minimal, in terms of, you know, uh, COVID, what we do, everyone, all the staff are temperature checked with the gun when they come in, obviously, and there's a record. With the customers, we do the same thing. So people walk in, we um, we gun them to check they haven't got a temperature. We, you know, very uh, uh, elegantly uh, give them a squirt of hand sanitizer, and then that's it. There's no masks on the waiters. There's no masks on the, on the chefs. And obviously, we're not leaning over people, and we try and, you know, give them as much space as possible. Small restaurant, table space, that. But one guy apparently came in for lunch the other day. I wasn't working. And they go, oh, can we just, no, 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 I don't know. Not, not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. To which I probably would have said something rude. But, you know, people are strange. And I think what's interesting about going out at the moment, because I'm going out a bit myself, is um, everyone's interpreting differently. I've been to restaurants where everyone's in masks. And as a punter, that's a complete nightmare. Because often, particularly in London, you're dealing with people who've got strong accents as waiters. Then you put a mask on top of them and you can't you can't hear what anyone's saying. It's it's really weird. And so, you know, and then in the kitchen they're not wearing masks. So I suppose at the end of the day, yeah. But in the end of the day, what's it about? I understand it in trains. I think if you go to a restaurant, a lot of people don't want to be reminded of it. It's a little bit of escapism as far as I'm concerned. And of course, you've got to take, um, you've got to take uh, as many precautions as you can to make, make people feel safe and take contact details and all of that. But if it becomes a constant reminder of what outside, I think that's getting away a little bit from, from my interpretation of what I think a restaurant should be about, which is about escapism and joy and relaxing. 
Yeah. So here we have it. Um, Joe Warwick is working in a restaurant where there are never any assholes. I'm sure if I sat down and talked to some of them in detail, I could find faults. But no, I mean, a lot of couples, a lot of tables of two, a lot of people that are really enjoying this is maybe the first special meal they've had out since lockdown. So they really want to enjoy themselves. And, and, and you know, it, it's not that same thing. I think, like I said, the gentleman I, that I talked about the other day that I didn't get have the pleasure of experiencing firsthand, that's... You know, I think that's as close as we've got to an arsehole. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would find it very difficult. I think this whole eat out, to, 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 you know, thing they're doing at the moment, I think it's very successful. I, I, I would hate to be working in one of those places that's getting slammed with, you know, Hawksmore, for example. You know, everyone wants the £10 steak and chips, which is great. But people are coming in, ordering that, having tap water. And, you know, it's nice to be somewhere where people are spending a bit of money and relaxing. And I'm not having to run around because my legs are gone. One of the things I have heard is, um, and I heard this from Sam's Riverside, Sam Harrison over in Chiswick. People are larging it on the Rishi Dishi, the Su- Rishi, Rishi Sunak deal. But they're also then upscaling on the wine. So where that's happening, that's great news. And I think the other thing that's interesting, I've noticed, I think the kind of structure of the week. I mean, I don't know enough about how it is normally at this time of year. August is usually fairly quiet um, in London. I mean, okay, we've got more tourists, but we probably have less, less, less locals. But what I find interesting is this whole thing, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are now really busy nights. I tried last night to get into several places in Soho late in the day, couldn't get in anywhere. Yeah, yeah. None of us, we don't know what, we, we don't know what, we don't know what the day is. We don't know what day it is. Every day is like Sunday. No, but everyone wants to eat out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday um, to save, to save the tenor. And so it's very hard to eat in this. So what's happened? Thursday's still a busy night, but Fridays, the last two or three weeks have been very slow. So it's like Thursday's a new Friday. And then Saturday, you get people coming from outside of London, you know, from 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 the home counties and stuff. Have you been taking the temperature for us? What's what's your view of how hospitality is doing? Have you seen a lot of casualties uh, or have you seen rather more rosy stories than you thought you might have done in the last few days and weeks? I think I think, you know, when the summer ends, um, when the furlough ends, um, when we don't have, you know, schemes, the, the eat out scheme, I think it's going to be very scary. I, I think sadly there's going to be there's going to be more casualties. But you know, I saw I saw your 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 friend Mark Hicks and my friend Mark Hicks today randomly because um, I was up in town at One Lombard Street. You know, and they're doing some exciting stuff. There is new stuff happening. Um, it, 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 it's it's going to be inter- it's going to be an interesting time, and and it would be nice. I think we've said this before. If it was only the crap places that were casualties, but I think sadly we're going to lose some more good ones. Um, so that New York today, there was a couple of you know famous names that aren't going to reopen. So the interview with Keith McNally about how how much money he was lo- losing a day in lockdown. You know, it's very very tough. You can't you can't plan. You can't run a business without customers, and I think. To me, and I think I said this to you before, sorry for repeating myself, to me, the worry is less about people being concerned about COVID, more about them having less disposable income ongoing if more people lose their jobs. And I think that's the bigger threat to the hospitality industry, uh, you know, short to medium term, as opposed to people being scared or wearing masks or not wearing masks or all that crap. I think 
when people have less disposable income, they're going to spend less. And I think also people, a lot of people are still very scared. I mean, I know people that are still jumping to go out. You've got to respect that. You know, um, everyone's got different levels with this thing um, and, and are probably not going to go out until they've got some kind of assurance that they're at no danger whatsoever. And that's going to be a while away, isn't it, until we get a vaccine. So I, still rocky times. But I think all of this home delivery stuff that's been um, developed, some of which is excellent. We didn't have that before. We had restaurant meals and then we had supermarket kind of ready meals and, you know, those those various brands. A lot of that is really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much of that continues on, you know. Uh, the I have fantastic brisket from Smokestack to plug them. And it was just like, I would buy that ongoing because it was just perfect. You know, stuff like that. So I think that's nice that, that that really talented cooks are having the taking the time to develop these things that can be posted out and, and we can have at home that weren't there before that you couldn't get in the supermarkets, you know. Okay. Um, remind us, for those of us who want to see you plying your trade as a waiter in a restaurant with no arseholes, where do we go? <laughs> so I'm working at Sola, S-O-L-A, which is in Soho in London. Um, which is Victor Garvey's restaurant. It's on Dean Street, and I'm there uh, most uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. On those, on the the non Sunak days of the week. Joe, it's great to catch up with you. Great to see you. Cheers, William. Bye. Well, thanks to Joe Warwick, uh, who rounds off the end of another lively show. Uh, and thanks also to my other guests on this episode of Biting Talk, to Jean Tanaka, to Andre Garrett, and to Lauren Wilson. And thank you for listening. Please do subscribe. Give us five stars. Um, I'm William Settle. That was Biting Talk, and Biting Talk is a Frontier production. <laughs>